last week we started a uh, a series, and, and I, I said last week, I'm not real sure how long we're going to be in it. Uh, one of the things I've, I've learned as I've studied Scripture that many of the things I thought were the most important are not the most important. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? When I was a lot younger, I thought my view on the end times was was worth fighting for. It still is worth holding on to, and I believe it, but it's not worth fighting for. And and I've I've, I've for a long time I studied scripture, and, and I could just never. I can never make 66 books fit into one book, if that makes sense. It just, there, there were, it just was disjointed somewhat. And then I began to, to see a word that kept appearing over and over and over, and it was this word kingdom, 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 kingdom. And I, I, I've come to realize that, that God's ultimate plan is to express a kingdom where in that kingdom, those who are part of that kingdom, the citizens of that kingdom, uh, love him and obey him. And, that, and you see that, you see that from the creation of Adam until the, the climax of, 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 of history comes to a point in the book of Revelation. You see the king establishing his kingdom. The sad thing is is that for many of us, we know very little about kingdom. We read it. We've heard about it. We've, for some of us, we've been taught that, uh, that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. He certainly is. It's going to be for a thousand years, and it's going to be literal, and, and, uh, and he's going to be the king. And that's true. But the reality of it is, is that he has had a kingdom all along. There's never once, there wasn't a moment when his kingdom wasn't in place, and it continues, and we are a part of that kingdom. I, 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 I went into ministry uh, believing uh, that, that the gospel was about salvation and salvation alone. And, and then I began to read that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I realized that salvation is the key to entering the kingdom of God. But there's a whole lot more that God wants to show us. I, I had limited the good news down to my key to get in. And then what happens is, then that, that's all I understand. But there's so much more. Jesus came to reveal to us what the kingdom looks like. And he did this by revealing to us who, what the king was like. He came to show us God. John says he came to, to literally to exegete, to, to pull back the curtain on God and show us what God was like in real life. 3D. I don't know if that's a popular term now, but that's, it, it communicates for me. But high death. There you go. High death. And so I've, I've come to realize that if I don't understand the king, and I don't understand the kingdom, I'm not going to understand what I'm supposed to do as a citizen of that kingdom, and then I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to worry about me. We're going to spend some time, and, and, and we're building some foundations for a few weeks, on, on what the kingdom is, who the king is, what a kingdom culture looks like, what it means to be a citizen. And hopefully, as we begin to walk in this, your Christian life will begin to bloom and put on fruit because once you realize whose you are, 
who you belong to, and who you are, your identity, then all of a sudden you start to live out who you were created to be. The sad thing is most of us don't know what we were created to be. Listen, if you know Jesus this morning, you are a citizen of his kingdom. It's different than living in a democracy, okay? And we're going to look at a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about the king. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the covenant of the king. Most of us are, are not familiar with the word covenant, but covenant is how God relates to human beings. And he doesn't relate to human beings outside of covenant. That, that's reality. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about that. But, but kingdom, in reality, is, is an expression of divine relationship. That's where we have our relationship is, is within that kingdom. And, and, and being a citizen of that kingdom is not just privileges. It's not just what we get. And, and sometimes uh, as, as Christians, we're, 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 we want the blessings. Amen? Let's just be honest. We want the blessings. But God cannot bless us if we don't keep our covenant and we don't live within the rules of the kingdom. And so we're going to learn that, that being a citizen of the kingdom gives us great privilege. But it also brings great responsibility. One of the reasons our nation is in the place where it's at right now, it's, it's not that we're a kingdom because we're not. And we'll talk about that a little later. But when you live in a, a republic, you have, to, you have certain responsibilities you're responsible for. And if you carry out your responsibilities, then, then the system of government and, and the, 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 the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, all those things work, and we get the blessings. But when we don't do our responsibilities, listen, we don't get the blessings. The same is true in God's kingdom. So we're going we're gonna to try to understand what kingdom and king and covenant means because, and citizen means in the kingdom because if we don't understand those basic pillars, we're not going to understand what a kingdom culture is. We're not going to understand what Jesus is talking about in the Gospels. Listen, from the beginning of, of John, I mean from the beginning of Matthew to the end of John, Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom looks like when it's in action. I would love to say that Jesus stood and he preached and he offered an invitation and said, come to me. But that's not what he did. He did say, come to me. But he said, come to me because I'm the king. And I've got a kingdom and I want you to be a part of it. And I want you to live in it. And the only way you can come to me is to come through me. I'm, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we have to understand that. And to understand that means we have to understand the concepts and the truths of, of kingdom and, and, and the truth of what a king is and covenant and, and what it means to be a citizen. And it's only then that we can grasp culture. If I don't understand the dynamics of the kingdom, I'm not going to understand the reality of the culture that I'm supposed to live in, that I'm supposed to be a, a part of. And if I don't understand the culture that I'm supposed to be a part of, I'm not going to carry that culture into the world that I live in. And if I don't do that, I can't fulfill what I was made for. You can't fulfill what you were made for. So we're going we're gonna to look at this, and we're going to, you know, you're not going to get bored. I promise you that. If you get bored, it's me. It's not God, and it's not the kingdom. But we're going to talk about that for several weeks, and we're going to study a, a little bit. 
most of everything Jesus taught, well, I would say everything. Let me just say that. All the parables, they have to do with the kingdom. And if I don't understand kingdom, I'm not going to understand parable. What I'll do is I'll take them and I'll make them mean what I want them to mean. And then I'll teach that. And I'll believe that. But I may be ignorant. By that I don't mean stupid. Okay? Ignorant means unlearned. And so I, you, you, we've, we've, got to, we've got to understand the context of what Jesus is talking about. One of the things uh, when I, I, I teach some college level courses uh, for some students going into ministry and one of the things that I, I, I hammer them with is context, context, context. Because if I don't understand the context, I will make the truth untruth by teaching what it does not mean. I have to stay in the context. The context grounds us. And the context of what Jesus preached, what Jesus taught, is the kingdom. He said, Nelson, why are you going to such extremes? Because I think you need to hear that. I think you need to understand that. Every kingdom, and we talked a little bit about the kingdom last week, introducing it, but every kingdom has a king. You say, well, duh. Well, without a king, there can't be a kingdom. And the very definition of kingdom means the king's domain. It's the realm over which he rules. But in the kingdom of God, the, the king's domain is, in essence, the king himself. We live within the king. We have our, our existence in him. Everything that we enjoy is, is his and he shares with us. And for a kingdom to be a, a kingdom, a king has to exercise dominion. And that king must possess uh, and exercise his power over that domain. Now, the, the idea of a, of a kingdom, of a, of a monarchy, is, is kind of foreign to us as Americans. We don't have a king, right? We don't have a king. We threw off the rule of a king. And, 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 and we live in a constitutional republic. We don't live in a democracy. You say, yes, we do. No, we don't. Because in a true democracy, you know who rules? The mob. It's who can get the most votes. It's who can control the most people. Our forefathers put into place a, a unique kind of government. There's checks and there's balances. And when that government works like it's supposed to, power is spread out all over the place. And ultimately, you know who holds the power? We do. We do. That's why it's so important. And, I, and this is a commercial, okay? That's why it's so important for you to vote. You say, well, I don't like anybody running. I don't either, okay? But I'm going to vote for somebody. Because I have particular beliefs that, that, that I hold to be true. And it's my responsibility. And it's every other citizen's responsibility to vote. We have that privilege in the nation that we live in. But we live in a, we live in a, a, a constitutional republic where some of our decisions, and often on the local level, are made by direct democratic decisions. And others... On the, on the national level, are, are, are made by uh, a democratically elected government. It's an indirect democracy. We send those people 
to Washington. By the way, if we don't like them, we can recall them. Okay? They shouldn't stay there for 40 and 50 and 60 years. All right? I'm not going anymore with that, but it's to be a government of the people and by the people for the people. That's the kind of government we have, and we're used to that. So we don't quite understand this concept of a king, of a monarchy. Because the reality is most of us would chafe a little bit if just one person told us what to do. I, I, I'm just going to confess here. I don't like to be told what to do. Do you? Nobody does. I've learned to submit myself to authority, but there are times when if, if that authority doesn't behave the way I think they should, I'd chafe at it. But I've also learned that you can't be an authority unless you learn to live under authority. And so we, live in a, we don't live in a monarchy. America's not a kingdom. We don't have an earthly king. Power and authority are not centrally located in one person. But, but so we don't, we don't quite grasp this idea of kingdom. But listen, because we don't grasp it, we don't ever fully grasp the beauty and the breadth and the depth and the grace and the true essence of our relationship with God. God is the king, not just a king. He's the king. God is omnipotent. I, I don't know if you ever think about that word, but that word means God has all power. God created. He is the creator. He, he spoke and the omnipotence of his power in, in his voice and in his word, he called forth those things that were not. And they became. He, 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 and that's everything visible and invisible. He, he created, he did something that no one else can do. We can create, did you know that? But we can't create out of nothing. God created out of nothing. Everything that we know, visible and invisible. He spoke creation into being. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's the king because only God existed prior to creation. And everything that is, he created. So that makes him boss. Now, I can understand that. I can understand that. that. That's a pretty simple concept. Because by virtue of his creation, I am under him. Regardless of where I want to be, chose to be, it's just reality. I didn't get a vote. You didn't get a vote. It was either that or not be here. Amen? You understand that, don't you? Okay. So we don't get a vote. He, he is king because he existed prior to everything that we know. He, he's, he's the eternal God, and by virtue of, of that he could create everything visible and invisible, he is the king. He's Lord over everything. And everything that he has created exists as a part of his kingdom, a part of his domain, a part of his realm. Psalms 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his sovereignty, his, his literally, that word is kingdom. His kingdom, his sovereignty rules over all. And, and that all is, is this idea of universe. Psalms 93, 1 and 2 says, The Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. 
The, the Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Everybody's worrying about everything. Listen, it's not going anywhere until he says it is. Now, I believe we are to be stewards of our planet. I believe we're to take care of things. All right? We're not just to trash everything. So I, I'm an environmentalist when it comes to that. But I'm not a tree hugger, okay? There, there's, a, there's a balance. And, and I, you know, I, I believe we're supposed to take care. But here's reality. I'm not going to lay awake at night worrying about it. I got a promise here. God says it will not be moved. Your throne, O Lord, is established from old. You are everlasting. And this Bible that we have is the written revelation of the king. And, the, and, the, and this written revelation never tries to justify or prove who God is or how he got here. It simply declares he's the king. I don't have to explain him. He explains himself. Whenever I step outside and I look at creation, I know there's a God. And it's not just me. Every other human being who has ever lived on this planet knows there is a God. There are no atheists, okay? There are just people who refuse to believe. They've made a decision. I will not believe that. But they know in here. There, there's nobody that hasn't had revelation of who God is because all they have to do is look around. All they have to do is listen. All they have to do is take a, a breath, and they know that there's a God. Paul says, God has put it in us. All right? He's put it in us. And this Bible just simply declares that God is God. He's the king, and there's no other God, and there's no other divine king. It's interesting, throughout history, we've had, had men who decided they would be God kings. They would be divine. They would declare themselves divine. That's sort of funny. Okay? Pharaoh declared himself divine. And all of his followers after him. Alexander the Great. He, he started out. He, he started to conquer. And then he decided, you know, I must be a god. Everybody needs to worship me. The Caesars did that. We've got some folks today that believe that. You say, they hadn't said it. No, but that's the way they act. Only God is divine. Isaiah 44, 6 echoes this truth throughout the Scriptures. Thus says the Lord, the King and the Redeemer of Israel, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no other God besides me. My point, and I'm driving this nail home, is God is the King. If I'm going to understand the kingdom, then I have to understand who the king is. And it's God. He's the sovereign king. Regardless of whether you think he is or I think he is, whether we like it or not, we don't get to vote. Creation is not a democracy. Okay? It's not. Creation is God's domain, and he rules over it. It's a theocracy. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. A theocracy is where God rules. And he rules through, uh, he gives divine guidance to human uh, intermediaries that manage the day-to-day -day affairs of the government. And guess who God has given that day-to-day -day management to? You and me. 
We are, here's a biblical word, stewards. I heard, I heard Tony Evans this morning preaching. He was preaching. I'm thinking, he's preaching my sermon this morning. But the reality of it is we are stewards. We are the ones through which God mediates the kingdom to this world. We are the ones that are are supposed to to change the culture of this world into the culture of heaven so that when the king returns, he's at home. That's our our responsibility. And so uh, this this is a monarchy. God's in charge and he alone's the king and as king God makes the rules. If I don't like the rules, I have to take them up with the king. Just from experience. He won't change the rule for you. Okay? He won't. He said, how do you know? I've tried. Okay? I've tried. He won't change it. And so this theocracy, we see this theocracy, this place where God rules and, and mediates His rule through, through stewards. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And a covenant is not a contract. Okay, A covenant is an agreement. The Bible talks about two different kinds of covenant. There's a covenant. There's two words in the Greek for covenant. One of them means when two individuals come together and they hammer out a deal that they both agree with. They give and they take. That's not the word that is ever used for covenants that God makes. God offers the covenant. He doesn't bargain with us. Okay, He offers the covenant. Dead people have nothing to bargain with. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Scripture says we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. Therefore, I bring nothing to the table. And so the king offers this contract. And this contract has unbelievable blessings. But it, uh, not contract. This covenant has unbelieving, uh, unbelievable blessings. But it also has, if I choose not to obey the terms of it, it has curses. You mean God curses us? No. God does not curse us. He just says, if you don't do this, this is what will happen. So I make a choice. We all like choices, don't we? God's given us choice. Even in a theocracy, you and I still make a choice. We will either... Obey God and enjoy the blessings, or we will disobey God and endure the curses. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, okay? I, I, did, I was terrible in math. I, I, but I understand blessing and curse. And I understand this is really a good deal. This is not so good a deal. How many of you have a hard head? I do. You don't have to raise your hand. I banged on the door till my head bleeds and realized it isn't going to open. There's another way. I, I've disobeyed God. I know, what, I know what disobedience brings, okay? You don't have to disobey God. You don't have to learn what disobedience brings by experience. Experience is not always the best teacher. There are some things we don't have to learn. We can learn by looking at what someone else did. And the Bible is filled with those illustrations. My father used to say all the time, experience is the best teacher. And and I understand what he was saying, but listen. If you measure your finger with with a hammer, I'm not jumping up and down to do that. 
to myself. I'm, I'm going to look at what you've done. I'm going to think, hmm, I don't need to do that. Now I realize sometimes it happens. It just happens. But if I see you touch a stove and you burn your hand and yell and jump and do all that stuff, I'm going to look at that. I bet that's hot. I don't have to do that. And so God's given us this covenant to show us how to live and what to do. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. But he, he gave this covenant to, to Israel. And, and the reality of it is he gave a covenant to, to, to Adam. He said, Adam, everything you see is yours. Except one tree, the one in the, the garden there. There's a lot of other trees there. But the garden of good and evil, or, or the, the, the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from that because in the day you die, you eat it, you'll die. That's the only prohibition. And what does Satan do? He comes and he takes the very thing that God told him not to do and he entices him to do it. And he says, you'll be just like God. Well, they were already just like God. They were made in the image and the likeness of God. And so they reached their hands out and they chose knowledge over revelation. The only problem was is they had no revelation that could guide them in, in their knowledge of good and evil. God's desire was to reveal to them day by day by day by day by day what He wanted what thrilled his heart, what, what was best for them. And they chose to subvert that. They broke the covenant. God made another covenant with them. Their descendants broke that. God made another covenant with Noah. They broke that. God made another covenant with Abraham. In fact, Israel, to the moment God gave the covenant of Sinai, were under the covenant of Abraham, which was a covenant of faith. Basically, if you'll just do what I say, I'll take care of you. Abraham did. Over and over you read. And Abraham believed God. And God counted it as righteousness. And Abraham believed God. And God counted it as righteousness. They come to Mount Sinai. And God writes this covenant. He, puts it, he writes it in stone. He spells out their responsibilities. He, resp he spells out his responsibility. He spells out the blessings and the protections that they could count on and the curses they could expect if they disobeyed the king. And then this, this, this covenant, uh, they ratify it. They agree. We will do what you say. And they call to, uh, to witness heaven and earth. Now listen to me. Our words matter. Their word, they ratified this. They didn't just ratify it with words. They ratified it with blood. And so it's, it's unalterable. It's unbreakable. And, and what happens is the, this, 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 contra, this covenant, it's not a contract. It's a royal agreement that the king gives to the citizens of his kingdom. And, and once they ratify it, that is what they're under. And so keeping this covenant is not what made them holy. Okay? It was their obedience to this covenant that actually gave them a relationship with God. Because God does not, He does not have relationship outside of covenant. They were in covenant 
with their king. And because they were in covenant with their king, it ensured their provision and their protection. And the only thing that could break it was disobedience. It was sin. And when, when the nation of Israel sinned, it was considered rebellion. Let's put this in terms we can understand. It's like a part of a king's kingdom that goes into revolt. And by the way, this planet has been in revolt since Adam ate the fruit. There have been pockets throughout the planet that were in revolt. And there were moments when it seemed like the whole planet was in revolt. And there were other moments when it was just pockets. Uh, We live in one of those days where it may be almost the whole planet's in revolt again. I don't know. But there's always been this rebellion. And even though the nation of Israel agreed to this covenant relationship in Sinai, it was not long before they began to cry out. You know what they cried out for? God, we want a human king. We want a king like everybody else has got. We want a king we can see. We want a king who will tax us to death, who will take our sons and our daughters and make them his servants. We want a king who will take a portion of everything we grow, everything we raise. We want a king like everybody else. God, give us a king. They were willing to give up what made them unique. Because God was their king. They were willing to do that so they could be like everybody else. I remember when I was in high school. Daddy, can I do this? Nope, you can't do that. Why? Because I said so. Now, at this point, I was taking a brave step. I usually didn't say anything because it didn't turn out good after that. But I said, well, everybody else is doing it. Well, son, if everybody else was doing it, would you jump off the cliff? I hated that answer. I hated it. I understand now what he meant. That's what God's people... Well, why, God? Everybody else has one. They wanted what everybody else had, and they could never understand what they had. They never understood the treasure. They never understood the relationship that God desired with them. They had everything. I mean everything. They had it all, folks. They, 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 they wanted to a king because they thought they could have more. And what God saw that as was sedition. It was, it was mutiny. It was outright rebellion. Israel, with God as her king, lived with divine protection and divine provision. They wandered around in the desert, folks. If you've ever been to the Middle East... And for those of you who've been to Mexico with us, it's even more barren than most of that is. There's no food for three or four, five, seven million people. And God fed them. And there's certainly not enough water for that many people, and God watered them. And listen, when you wander around in, 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 in cloth, And in leather shoes, you know what eventually happens after about five or six weeks? Maybe not that long. Maybe a week or two of walking. Your shoes wear out. Your clothes wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. 
their shoes didn't wear out. God supernaturally took care of them. He sent the rain once they were in the land at the exact time, the precise time, so that the crops would grow. There was early rains and latter rains. It was, it was amazing, this cycle that God has. And, and he supernaturally, he, he, he gave them a plentiful harvest. He, they, they just enjoyed supernatural harvest. He blessed their flocks so that they pro, were pro, prolific. You look at Abraham. You look at, 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 at Isaac and Jacob and, and the amazing way their flocks grew. Well, guess what? It didn't stop. When they went down into Egypt, he blessed them. And blessed their flocks. When they came into the land under Joshua, he blessed their flocks. He supernaturally protected them from their enemies who surrounded him. Listen, when they came out of Egypt, they had been slaves for generations. They didn't know anything about war. They didn't have weapons like everybody else had. And God protected them. And God protected them. And God protected them. He destroyed their, their enemies with miraculous intervention. And he, he didn't just destroy the enemies. He, what was left, he put terror in their hearts so that they wouldn't even invade or attack. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and, and my mind works like this, but, but they cross into uh, Cana. They, the, the Jordan River opens up, and they walk across on dry land. And they are in... It's not very far away. They can see the city of, uh, of Jericho. Jericho is a fortified city. And you know what the first thing they do once they get across the river is? They circumcise all the men. Which means they have no protection. Think about that. If I'm going to... If I'm going to Attack you. That's when I'm going to attack you. Guess what? They got the doors locked. They're trembling in fear. Why? Because God has put fear on them. And he's protecting his children. And so when they are in full obedience, then they go. They march around this city. By the way, I've been there. It's still not there. The walls are gone. They walk around it every day. And then on the last day, they walk around it. Nobody shouts. Nobody does anything. They blow the trumpet. They shout. And what happens? The walls fall down. Explain that to me. I've read all kinds of explanations. None of them make sense. God caused those walls to fall down. Why? Because he supernaturally protected them. He placed judges among them, civil judges that, that would work out the financial and the civil and the personal issues. How many of you realize that when you have two people together, there are going to be issues, right? Multiply this times millions. They had issues every day. Personally, God gave them judges. And then God gave them priests to help them with the spiritual issues. They lived under an open heaven, and God poured out his blessings on them. Yet they wanted a human king. They tried to make, you see this throughout Scripture, they tried to make Gideon the king. And Gideon refused it. They wanted to, to make Gideon the king because he did one good thing. And they not only wanted to make him the king, they wanted his sons to be king and his grandsons to be king over him. That's how quick they were to rush into this. And Gideon refused. Judges 8, 
22 and 23 gives us the gist of that. The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your son's son. We're willing to go three generations into this. For you've delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, for the Lord shall rule over you. Now Gideon made a lot of mistakes, but he didn't make a mistake there. Under the leadership of Samuel, by the way, Samuel was also a judge, and he was the first prophet that, that, that uh, he's the kingmaker in a sense. The nation of Israel, they were still crying for a king. Samuel refused. He wouldn't listen to them. And then God spoke to Samuel. Don't you listen to what takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 through 7. It says, Then all the elders of Israel, the men who were supposed to be so smart, the men who were the leaders of Israel, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons don't walk in your ways. Okay. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to what he says here. Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now listen, I don't care how you, you judge King Saul. He is an abject failure. Everything he did was the opposite of what God told him to do. God that replaces King Saul with David. And David makes mistakes, but his heart is toward God. He's got a heart like God. Solomon takes the throne. Solomon starts out well, doesn't finish well. And from then on, it's bad king, good king. Bad king, good king. Bad king, bad king, bad king, good king. Bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. Okay, king, bad, 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 bad. Till you get to Manasseh, who's the worst of the worst. It's, it, that's their history. You know what they got? Exactly what they asked for. Be careful what you pray for over and over and over. Sometimes the reason God does not answer our particular prayers is because we don't really need what we're asking for. Yeah, but I want it. Well, you might, but you might not want it when you get it. I bet if, if the people of Israel that lived all this time could, could, from where they're at now, look back and say, you know what, I wish I hadn't asked for that. And what happened is most of David's descendants refused to obey God and, and, live in, and they lived in utter rebellion. They didn't just disobey God. They chose to go the opposite way of God. And the history of Israel, ancient Israel, is rebellion, 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 until God says, I have had enough. And He sends them into a place they didn't want to go. He judges them. He said, well, God's not gracious. No, God gave them exactly what He promised would happen if you don't obey me you won't live under the blessings you'll live under the curses and that's what happened Israel broke her covenant agreement and her king her true king finally responded with judgment I'm going to read you a story 
It's a parable. It's told several times a little. It's, it tweaks a little here and there, but the message is always the same. And this is going to be a parable that, that we're going to come back to over, probably and over and over as we do this series. But Jesus comes on the scene. When Jesus comes, there's no earthly king in Israel. And there hasn't been for a long, long time. Caesar is their king. And they don't really like Caesar. And Jesus tells us a story that depicts exactly where Israel is in her history. We find it in Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Jesus says, a man planted a vineyard. Now everybody that was listening understood what he was saying. Planted a vineyard. Vineyard, uh, vines, grape vines were very, very important. It produced the wine that they drank. It produced uh, some of the medicines that they used. It provided raisins and different things. Uh, it, 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 and he put a wall around it. And he dug a vat under the wine press. And he built a tower and rented it out to, to tenant farmers or to, to uh, uh, what's the word that, that we use here in the south? Sharecroppers. That's that's basically what it was. And he went on a journey. And at harvest time, he sent a slave or a servant to the sharecroppers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the tenant farmers. The deal was, you produce fruit, we will share it. I'm going to produce every, I'm going to give you the property, the land, the protection. There's a wall around this thing that speaks of protection. I'm going to put a tower there. I'm going to be watching. Your enemies are not going to be able to come in here. I'm going to put a vat under it, under the wine press, so there's plenty of room to catch all the, uh, all the riches of, the, of this vineyard. And then he, he goes. And he sends a servant to, to collect his share. And they took that servant and they beat him. And they sent him away empty-handed. And he again sent them another servant, another slave. And they wounded him in the head. And they treated one, uh, they treated him shamefully. And he sent another. And that one they killed. And so with many others. He had one more to send. Scripture says, a beloved son. And so he sends his son last of them all to them saying, they will respect my son. Now, I don't know about you, but after they sent, after I sent my first one and they didn't send me anything, I would have probably went and cleaned the house. But God didn't do that. God is a God of grace and a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on and on. So they'll respect my son. But those sharecroppers, those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir. Come let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And so they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. Now Jesus asked a question. What will the owner, the Lord, the king of the vineyard do? He will come and he will destroy the tenant farmers. He will destroy the sharecroppers and he will give the vineyard to others. Now Jesus is sharing this story with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians 
and the scribes. There are all kinds of people around him, poor people, rich people. He's sharing this story. This is not something to entertain with. This is something everybody paid attention to. Because they know he's talking about them. And it's interesting. Jesus tells this story, and what it does is it depicts the history of Israel up until that very moment. Until the king sends his son. In other words, the king himself has come. And he stands before them. And, and Jesus lets them understand that, and they do. But he also knows that they're not going to listen. And so he prophetically speaks and declares what's going to be their ultimate end. And a few days later, guess what happens? He does this literally three or four days before the crucifixion. When they crucified the Son of God, the King of glory. Jesus came to show them what the king looked like, how the king acted, what the kingdom of God was like. He came them to give them a per, some personal experience in, in which they could taste and they could touch literally God's grace and God's love and, and God's mercy and God's power and God's righteousness. He came to offer them one more chance to be a part of that kingdom. Listen, even Pilate recognized Jesus is a king. He, he, Pilate is a pagan. He, he's not one of God's people. He, he's a pagan. He's an unbeliever. He, he worships the Caesar. He worships the God of, of ancient Rome, the gods of ancient Rome. Yet it's evident from his willingness to even ask this question. Typically, he, a Roman governor would never acknowledge the, the royalty of, of, of someone else other than Caesar. Because to do so was sedition. It was, it was uh, treason. Listen to what he says. He says to Jesus, he, he says, so you're king. And Jesus responds this way in John eighteen thirty seven, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. Listen, to bear witness to the truth. Now, listen to what the mob cries a few minutes later. Pilate wants to release Jesus. Now, he's willing to have him beaten and, and flogged, but he wants to release him because he recognizes that he's an innocent man. He realizes that, that he's not in, in, in rebellion against Rome. It's, a, it's an issue uh, of, that has to do with the Jewish faith. That, that He sees it as that. And Pilate says to the crowd, he says, Shall I crucify your king? I want you to listen to what they say. We have no king but Caesar. These are the people who had the covenant of God. These are the people who, who in their history had said, We want a king like everybody else. They no longer even thought about God as their king anymore. They were willing to live under a pagan king. That's where they had come to. 
The very thing that Jesus spoke prophetically in that parable a few days earlier now comes to pass. They crucify their king. They throw him out of the vineyard. By the way, in that story, the vineyard is Israel. I've heard this taught all my life that Jesus came to offer the kingdom of God to Israel. That's not what He came to do. He didn't come to restore the kingdom to Israel. The disciples asked Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus never answers that question. Israel was only a part of God's kingdom. Jesus came to rescue and to restore Israel to the kingdom. They were not the kingdom. They were an instrument of the kingdom. And since the fall, humanity has been in rebellion against their king. And Jesus offers to forgive them and to heal that rebellion that Israel is involved in and restore them to, to a part of the kingdom. But they reject Jesus. So when they reject Jesus, they re- reject the mercy. They reject the grace. They reject the method that God has chosen to, to forgive them and to receive them back to Himself. And in doing so, in essence, they reject their king once more and they crucify him. They kill the king. But you know what? The kingdom does not change ownership. It does not change hands. It does not become theirs. Remember what the, the tenant farmers thought? If we kill the, the heir, this will be ours. It wasn't theirs. The kingdom belongs to God. few years later the king shows up he shows up in the physical presentation or representation of Titus and the 7th legion from Rome and when they're through there is no Israel there's no temple there's no Jerusalem there's nothing they destroyed it all Jesus didn't come to restore Israel, the kingdom to Israel. He came to restore Israel to the kingdom. But you know what? When they kill the king, the king doesn't stay dead. The king rises from the dead. And he moves forward with his kingdom plan. And out of his death and through his resurrection, the king reveals, reveals a new tool. He reveals a, a, a new kingdom community. And he calls it the church. And I want you to hear me. The church is not the kingdom. The the church is just the instrument that God is using today in the world around us to represent Him. That's why we are supposed to represent Him. It's not the kingdom, but but rather it's the the instrument of God that He's presently using to proclaim and, and to demonstrate the same gospel that He came preaching to the Jews. The same good news. We don't replace. We don't become Israel. Both are instruments of God's kingdom. And both have their place. Listen to me. No person, Jew or Gentile. Paul spends a lot of the New Testament proving to the Jews that, you know what? You don't have special, you have a special place based on what's God given you. But you don't get a pass. 
The only way you become a part of this kingdom is to come the way that God says, come. And by the way, Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody, no one comes to the Father but through me. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, you're black, you're white, you're Native American, you're an immigrant. I don't care, man, woman, boy, or girl. The only way you come into this kingdom, the only way you come to the king is through Jesus Christ. And all who enter this kingdom must come the king's way. The king is the one who gives the dimension and he gives the meaning and he gives the height and the breadth of this idea of kingdom. And without the king, there's no kingdom. And without the kingdom, uh, without the king, there's no kingdom with culture. And without the, the king, there's no life that's worth living because the king is the life. Jesus, and we'll talk about this a great deal next week. Jesus didn't make a covenant with us. He is our covenant. Okay? Jesus is the sacrifice. He doesn't offer a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. Jesus, it was, it was His body, His tabernacle in which this sacrifice was made. All of those things that make up a covenant, Jesus is that for us. He has kept it for us. Therefore, every person must be born again. They must be born from above by the Holy Spirit through faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I want you to listen to what Jesus says to the premier religious teacher of all Israel. I mean, the guy with the PhDs across his his plaque on his desk. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's John 3, 3. Now, Nicodemus is a scholar, okay? I mean, he's spent his whole life studying Scripture. And he's flabbergasted. He has no clue what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says this. He responds to him. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's pretty plain what it says. So my question is this. Do you know the King? Do you understand that your life and everything that contains to it or pertains to it, all that you are belongs to this King? If you do, then we need to begin to live that way. We need to live according to our covenant. We're going to learn about uh, what a covenant is and, and, and what that means. We need to learn to live like good citizens. We need to learn to do what He's called us to do. Because if we do those things, the blessings of the covenant are ours. Our covenant is better than Israel had. Okay, Do y'all, you believe that? It's better you say, why is it better? Because there's never going to be another one. <laughs> okay? It's, 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 
top of the list. Everything that's needed is there. Israel had healing. They didn't get sick in the desert, by the way. Nobody died for 40 years. So how do you know that? Because the Bible says that. Well, I th- let, me, let me rephrase that. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The only ones that died are the ones that disobeyed and broke the covenant. <laughs> okay? Which was a whole generation that said, we don't want to go into the land. But everybody else, there were no infant deaths. There were no children that died. God gave them exactly what He promised them. I will put nothing that, that the, that none of the sicknesses of the Egyptians on you. Because I am Jehovah God, your Rapha, your God who heals. I am the God who heals. He, he, he took care of them. He met their needs. They enjoyed amazing things. Our covenant is better than theirs. Our covenant is better than Abraham's. Our covenant is better than Noah's. It's better than the one he made with David. In fact, the covenant we live under, when the king comes, will become the eternal covenant. Forever and ever and ever. And all that's required is that I know who the king is. And that I surrender my life to the king. You say, I've already done that. Well, maybe you have been born again, but maybe you haven't given control of your life over to the king. Surrender means, I don't own anything. When we're stewards, we don't own anything. We're sharecroppers. (laughs) Okay? You say, how do you know about sharecroppers? My ancestors were all sharecroppers. I grew up in a sharecropper house. The first... Three or four or five years of my life, I lived. I know what a sharecropper house looks like because I grew up in one. We are sharecroppers. But you know what? The king takes care of those that work his land. He gives them the seed that they need. He gives them the, the land that they need to plant. He gives them the rain and the sun. He ensures that the crops are bountiful, that they produce fruit. God has called us folks to produce fruit. The only way we're going to ever produce fruit is to understand the culture in which we live in and understand that that Jesus is the king. But if I just know about the king and I don't know the king, I'm not going to surrender to the king. I'm going to do my thing on Sunday and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm going to do my thing. I'll do his thing on Sunday, my thing the rest of the week. Which means I don't understand who I am. I don't know who he is, and I don't know who I am. I'm going to stop this morning. I could go on and on and on, but you can't endure that. (laughs) Okay? I think I probably said what I needed to say somewhere in all of this. But here's the reality. We have a king. And it's time we acknowledged him and we obeyed him. I always find it interesting. Whenever Jesus talks about love, he couples it with something. He says, if you love me, you will do what I say. I want to know if I'm a kingdom, uh, if I'm a citizen of God's kingdom, 
a, a, a profitable one, one that's going to be able to enjoy the privileges, one who's carrying out his or her responsibilities, then all I have to do is look at my own art and ask, am I doing what the king says? I got all kind of stories I could tell you, but I'm not going to. Okay, I'll just let the Holy Spirit deal with that one. But this morning, I want to say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. The kingdom is not a closed community. Okay? The kingdom is open to those who will come through Jesus Christ. And when we come, Jesus gives us His righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. I give Him all I've got. He takes it. And He takes out of His account and He gives me all that He has. And all of a sudden, you and I become righteous. We become holy. Not based on what we did or what we do, but on, based on who He is. And then He takes responsibility for us. He forgives us of our sins. I, I can't forgive you of sins. I can't pay for your sins. But Jesus already has. If you've never done that, I encourage you to, to just... Come see me. Come see me uh, the next minute or two or uh, after the service. Just, just come. Come. But if you're here today and you've, you've done that, but you're in rebellion, just bend your knee, bow your head and say, Oh God, forgive me. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good citizen. I'm going to be a, a kingdom citizen. I don't want to be like those that rebelled against you and, and that walked in the curses. I want to walk under the blessings. I want to walk under the open heaven. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.